Need a last-minute gift idea? This Christmas, give the gift of Christmas. Yes, Christmas Past, the fascinating stories behind our favorite holidays traditions, is just the book for all the Christmas lovers in your life. Available in hardcover, ebook, and audiobook, and you'll find it at all your favorite booksellers. Give them a Merry Christmas and tell them Brian Earl sent you. In 2017, reporters gathered at a news conference in Rome, Italy. They were there to hear the details of an effort to stamp out counterfeiting that was rampant in one of the country's industries. An industry that produces nearly half a billion dollars annually in exports. There to address the reporters was a senior official from a large trade organization, whose efforts had the backing of Italian government officials and whose case was being taken to the highest reaches of international commerce, the World Trade Organization. And the problem being discussed had been on the rise, as the industry had been growing sometimes by double digits year over year. The U.S. alone buys about $32 million worth of that half billion dollars in exported goods every year. And yet, the man from the large trade organization addressing reporters that day in 2017, a man named Alberto Bali, made the stunning announcement that nearly 70% of what gets exported to the U.S. is tinged by fraud. Yes, if you are one of the many Americans who partake of this product, there is a 70% chance that you, too, have been swindled. And then, the government official, Italian Agricultural Secretary Paolo de Castro, summed up the outrage of the issue. Reuters news agency quoted him as saying, We can't let all these imitators use a name, a brand that gives them a link to territory that isn't theirs. In a way, they're mocking consumers. Alberto Bali, the man from the large trade organization, concurred. That large trade organization was the Italian cake industry. And he told reporters, just think, 7 out of 10 panettone exported to the United States do not respect production norms. 7 out of 10 Americans buying quote-unquote Italian-style panettone are getting a fake. A fake cake? How do you fake a cake? Well, for one thing, you call it a panettone when you know that it isn't made according to the specific definition and the strict rules. And by rules, I mean actual laws that make a panettone a panettone. Just as you can't call any old sparkling white wine champagne, it must come from the Champagne region of France to deserve that name, panettone must be made with pure butter and use only beer yeast. Anything else is culinary fraud, the Italians say. But here's the rub. Those strict rules apply only to cakes made and sold in Italy. When they're exported from Italy, the same rules don't apply. And if they're made somewhere other than Italy, well, all bets are off at that point. Hence, the Italian cake industry and the Secretary of Agriculture calling a news conference to announce that they wanted to protect their product and reputation from low-quality knockoffs. Who'd have thought that the ubiquitous, fruit-studded treat would find itself embroiled in such controversy? or that that's not even the weirdest part of its story. Let's all practice talking with our hands and getting ready to manja, because we're about to enter the sweet, fluffy world of Panettone. I'm Brian Earle. This is Christmas Past. Panettone, or the plural panettoni, are cakes, heavy on the butter and most typically containing raisins and candied fruit peel. You usually see them sold in boxes that look almost like a pyramid with its top cut off though it's also common to see them wrapped in fancy paper or even fabric. But they're unlike, say, an everyday chocolate cake in that panettone is leavened. It's really fluffy and yet really dry at the same time. <laughs> That's Max Miller, 
He's the creator and host behind the wildly popular YouTube channel Tasting History, in which he researches and recreates historical recipes. It's similar to a brioche in its flavor, but then it has all of that fruit in it. So it's a cake with fruit in it that we eat at Christmas time. So that makes it a fruit cake, right? Well, in the most literal way, yes. But practically speaking, it's an airier, less sweet, less fruity, and much less boozy counterpart to a typical fruitcake. Plus, fruitcake as we know it today comes to us from England during the Victorian period, whereas panettone is from Italy, though we're not entirely sure when. When did it start? Well, when did we have bread that had fruit in it, served around Christmas? Well, that's probably been for a thousand years or more. Somewhere along there, you have to decide, okay, well, when did it become panettone? And I would say the 18th century, because that's when the word starts cropping up. Nobody knows whose idea the panettone was, or who baked the first one and when. But, and remember I said before that claims of fakery weren't even the weirdest part of the panettone story? Well, that's because this is the weirdest part. Several absurd origin stories have cropped up, like this one. It comes from Pane di Tony, someone named Tony made this bread, usually for the Duke of Milan, Duke Sforza. The story changes, but that's usually how it goes, and it's usually someone named Tony that made it. In one of the more common tellings, Tony is the assistant to a baker for the Duke. During a Christmas feast at the Duke's residence, the baker ruins the Christmas cake, and Tony, the assistant, offers a small cake that he had made for himself instead, which the Duke loved, and a tradition was born. And if you think that's an odd one, wait till you hear the one about the lovesick nobleman. A wealthy man wants to marry the daughter of a baker, and of course the duke is not going to allow that to happen. For some reason, the noble decides to go bake some bread in disguise using all these wonderful ingredients, and then gives it to the duke, and that somehow makes it so that the duke will allow him to marry the baker's daughter. It makes absolutely no sense, but again, his name was Tony, and the duke liked the bread. That's, that's the general gist. These stories are entertaining, of course, but they're also pretty easy to debunk. We actually know there's no Tony in Panettone because, you know, we can actually translate the word from Italian. Really, it means either large cake or luxury cake, depending on the dialect from pane di tono or panetto. And just because the word and the cake it refers to started cropping up in the 18th century, that doesn't mean those earlier versions were anything like the kind you're used to today. The modern panettone is indeed modern, involving a process taking three days to allow multiple cycles of yeast rising and where they must be cooled upside down to prevent them from collapsing in on themselves. The end result is a lighter, fluffier version of the 18th century predecessors, which were more bread-like. And that didn't start until the 1920s. The person who is credited with standardizing that three-day rise and the long process that we know today was the, also the first person to make it commercially that we know of. His name was Angela Motta, and it was just after World War I. He set up a bakery in Milan. That bakery is still in operation today, nearly a century later, and is one of Italy's top panettone producers. Now, whatever your position is on claims of there being only one right way to make a panettone, it's interesting to note how the recipe has continued to evolve beyond its Italian origins, providing lots of interesting options. Because the Italians ended up traveling all over the world, they changed the food wherever they went. And so when you're in Peru, 
and you've got a large Italian population, they're going to make it with papaya because that's what's around. These days, it's not uncommon to find chocolate panettone or even ones where the raisins have been soaked in Moscato wine. And let's thank our lucky stars that panettone is so easily available, and often quite affordably, this time of year. Because making it is something best left to the professionals. It's really not something that you necessarily want to make at home. You usually think of homemade as being better, but not in all cases, especially with a lot of baked goods. So just buy it, it's going to be a lot easier, and spend your time in the kitchen making something else. Or spend your time eating panettone. And this brings us to that very crucial topic of panettone decorum. It's not quite a cake and not quite a bread, so how should you serve and eat it? Do you slice it? Do you eat it with a fork? Usually, I've always seen people just kind of tear a big piece off. And then one thing that is very popular is to um, put some mascarpone cheese on it, which is, you know, kind of sweet. It does liven up the bread. Or if you're looking to get creative, use it to make French toast, because what are calories anyway? You know what, that's why you eat it around the holidays, because nothing has calories during the holidays. One of the exciting things about receiving a Christmas gift is that there's always that element of surprise. The surprise of what lay beneath the wrapping paper and trimmings, and also, quite often, the surprise of receiving some gifts in the first place. And sometimes, that surprise is coupled with mystery. And that's the makings of Christmas magic, as Jacqueline from Illinois recalls in this Christmas memory. My Christmas memory is from the mid-90s. My parents were having a really hard year, and on Christmas morning, they found an envelope on their apartment door with money in it. No one ever found out whom it was from, even until this day. This is my reason I still believe in Santa. Thanks. We're not done with the season yet, so stay with me right up till Christmas Day. I'll see you again soon. Until then, let me remind you that Christmas Past is produced in wonderful Willow Glen, California, by yours truly, Brian Earle. Thank you to Max Miller. Check the show notes to this episode for links to his excellent YouTube channel. And thanks to Jacqueline in Illinois. As always, thank you. You can drop me a line anytime during or after the season. My email address is christmaspastpodcast at gmail.com or find me on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And join our private Christmas Past Facebook group to celebrate the season all year long. And if you're really feeling the Christmas spirit, why not help more people discover the show? It's as easy as telling a friend about it or leaving a review on Apple Podcasts. If you do leave a review, I'll send you a Christmas Past sticker and a handwritten Christmas card is my way of saying thanks. Reach out for details. And until we meet again, may your days be merry and bright. <laughs>